This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Remember the movie E.T. way back in the 80s? It was a cute, imaginative movie about a boy's encounter with an alien, a creature from outer space. Many people believe aliens are real, but Dr. Doug Hamp has a different, much more serious take on the subject. There are aliens, but they're not extraterrestrials from another planet. They are extra dimensionals. What are these beings? What role do they play in the book of the Revelation? You're about to find out. Plus, we have an extended program tonight again with a special report about what's going on in Ukraine with Trey Sprinkle. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Well, there you are, what took you so long? Shabbat shalom to our fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Hey, aliens are no longer a conspiracy theory, they're biblical, but they're not from another planet. They are with us all the time. They've already been here, just in another dimension. What? Yep. Tonight we're talking about unraveling the book of the Revelation to reveal extra dimensionals and what role they play in the end times, specifically when it comes to the two witnesses. That's really interesting. This is fascinating stuff, so buckle up and get ready to take your brain for a ride with Dr. Doug Hamp, author of Corrupting the Image, Part Three. Now, speaking of extra dimensional, this week marks the anniversary of when Yeshua, after his resurrection, appeared out of nowhere to the disciples. Remember, behind the locked door, poof, there he was. You can see that anniversary marked on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. This week we are on the fourth and final Shabbat of the month of Aviv. So let's talk about how to prepare for the end times with my host, David Robinson, co-host. Hello, Scott. Thank you. You can be the host. I mean, I can, uh, just you're doing a great job. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got enough to do. Co-host. There we are. Go so now uh, we have a special edition Shabbat Night Live tonight with uh, Terry Sprinkle, and he is talking all about uh, Ukraine. And mm -hmm. I think this is really important. We have somebody on our staff uh, who is our production manager, right. Yev yeah. Solodovnikova. Uh, say that five times real fast. No, I'm not going to. No. <laughs> and Yev is from Ukraine. Yes. Her husband's from Ukraine. Mm -hmm. uh, she was actually on a Zoom call, or a, a, I guess it was a Skype call or a Facebook, FaceTime, something like that, with uh, his parents. And they heard an explosion during that call outside their window. Uh, the, the feed went off, it came back, and, and they realized that their windows were gone. Oh yeah, it was gosh. that close. And so, of course, that really scared her because she's got friends and family over she there. Does, yeah. Thank goodness her mother is here with yes. her in the U.S. Uh, but they have uh, pictures of her old apartment blown to pieces wow. where she used to live. She, Yev has a picture of her baby daughter uh, because her daughter is also from Ukraine. They, they mm -hmm. adopted from Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And so they're standing on this, uh, on this balcony of this apartment and she shows a before and after picture and that same apartment is just demolished, and uh, so we're really glad her, her mother's here, but she has friends and family over there. Uh, her husband has friends and family over there, and so they wanna bring out, hey look, you're not seeing everything on mainstream media, you're not even seeing everything on the other side of things. Only people who have been there can really see what's going on, and that's why we have Trey Sprinkle here tonight. After tonight's episode, yeah. Trey's gonna give us a good 20 minutes of what's really going on there, and 
what happens if that comes here? Yeah. You know, wh what are we gonna do? Yeah, and we've talked about that a lot, you know, off camera that, you know, we, we kind of have this security blanket that hey, we're the US, you know, we're stronger than everyone else. This could never happen here. It can happen here. It can, and, and what's to say it won't happen here? I mean, you see how things are falling apart in mm -hmm. our, uh, you know, the political system, and, and, and we're, we're right there where the scripture says, you know, uh, in those days, good will be called evil and evil will be called good. Since this latest administration, it, it has never been so evident mm -hmm. that we are in that time. And, yeah. and it's like, there's nothing we can do. Right. Yet there is a lot we can do, and one of the greatest things we can do is become a community. Yes. A community of believers, community of Torah followers, because God did not intend you to walk out Torah by yourself. He intended you to do it as a community, and he doesn't intend for you, when things get rough, to go run for the mountains on, and have your own island. It's, those are the ones that are gonna be taken out. Right. Those are the easy pickings. Yep, exactly. But if we're together as a community, we can, uh, we can take care of each other. Absolutely, it's so important just to remember community. And it's not just something that's you know, happening in the US. It, this is way beyond, dare I say, 9-11. Right. Yes, 9-11 affected the whole world, but it, mainly it was the US. Mm -hmm. But this is everywhere. I mean, we see supply chain issues. You wanna see supply chain issues? Just go look at a map of the, of the ships sitting outside China. Mm -hmm. There's a big backlog that's about yeah. to come our way. And so right. we need to prepare now, uh, not to panic, just to prepare. Yeah, we need to prepare. Get ready, and, that, and preparing includes uh, getting our minds ready as well. That's right, and the only way we can do that is be in the Word, be in the Word. Can I say it one more time? Be in the Word. That's mm -hmm. the only way you're gonna be able to fight a spiritual battle, because if you're just seeing everything in the natural with your eyes and, and your interpretation of, of situations is based on what you see, and you don't have an eye for the spiritual part of what's going on, it's gonna be really difficult when things get really bad. Yeah, and we need to be able to confront wrong ideas, not wrong ideas, but we need to confront ideas that, you know, f folks that we have as Christian friends, uh, mm -hmm. we know that we're thinking, man, there's just, they don't get it, they don't understand. They don't, for whatever reason, Yehovah has picked a lot of us to understand these things and we, we kind of shake our heads going, why me? And mm -hmm. like, why does no one else see this? This is an opportunity to take a teaching like we have for this month with Keith Johnson and take it to your friends and be bold. If you're not gonna be bold now, when are you gonna be bold? That's right. I mean, I've got Christian friends. I've been sort of like, yeah, I don't wanna wreck the relationship by saying that, hey, you know what? There's more to your faith than you think. And I, yeah. you know, basically they're gonna think that I'm telling them their faith is wrong. Yeah. That's not it. But we need to stand up now because if we don't, when are we going to? And that's a good opportunity to bring more people into your community. I agree with that. Right? Yes. And so that's what Keith's uh, teaching is all about, the resurrection of Passover. It's just another telling of, hey, look, there's something not quite right with what you heard about Easter. Mm -hmm. This is what the real story is. Here's what happened, and here's why you may think you did because of these translational things that happened over time. Mm -hmm. Keith brings that all out, and hopefully, you know, Keith will do the teaching so you, you don't have to to your friends. You can just hand them to them and say, hey, why don't you just give this a watch? Yeah, just take, take just a look. look at it. So this is what the purpose is of the love gift. We wanna give you teachings that, to say thank you, first of all, this is not, you're not buying the teaching, we just wanna thank you for the gift that mm -hmm. you're giving to us for keeping this ministry going. So for a gift of $50 or more, we'll just give this to you. You can give it to a friend if you wish. Right. That'd probably be a great idea. Yep. So this is for a gift of $50 or more, for a gift of $100 or more, you'll get this. And you get this uh, etched metal uh, yep. decorative piece, uh, very heavy duty, and mm -hmm. it's Proverbs 50, 15. Psalm 50, 15. Psalm 50, 15. Yep. yeah, I think, uh, 
said that wrong last week. Uh, call on my, call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a really nice etched piece, and you can see the etching of the city of Jerusalem yep. up on Beautiful. the top. And for a gift of three hundred dollars, you'll get all this and this Torah scroll. I don't know if we need to bring it up. We brought it out last yeah, week. We you know what it looks like. Get this nice Torah scroll. Yep. It's in Hebrew, and so uh, you can. Um, when Shavuot kicks around, you'll have your own Torah scroll. Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah, beautiful thing. And it even comes with a yod. Yod, you get your yod. And uh, at first I thought this was an ephod, but the stones aren't on there and because I'm old and can't see well. <laughs> uh, it's basically the uh, Ten Commandments. Oh, there you go. On the plate. So that's to hang on your Beautiful. Tour. All yeah. right. Thank you, David. Thank you. Okay, so many people believe aliens are real, but Dr. Doug Hamp has a different, much more serious take on the subject. There are aliens, but they're not extraterrestrials. They are from another planet. They are extra dimensionals. What are these beings? What role do they play in the book of the Revelation? That's coming up. Plus, don't forget, stay tuned after tonight's episode for a special update from someone who has been helping out in Ukraine, Trey Sprinkle. The Kiddish with Michael is next. Stay with us. What do an egg-laying rabbit and a Babylonian fertility goddess have to do with the resurrection of our Hebrew Messiah? Good question. In The Resurrection of Passover, Keith Johnson leads us through the dispensational disaster of mixing the holy with the profane, truth with mythology, and how a translational conspiracy was devised to crucify Passover itself. I'm gonna tell you right now what I think they're doing. They're trying to crucify Passover. The Resurrection of Passover with Keith Johnson is not for sale and it's not on YouTube. The only way to watch it is to receive it as a thank you gift from Michael Rood. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you The Resurrection of Passover on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you The Resurrection of Passover, plus a beautiful wall hanging featuring Psalm 50 verse 15. Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. Or, with a donation of $300, we'll send you the Resurrection of Passover, the Psalm 50 wall hanging, plus a handheld Torah scroll. This breathtaking showpiece features all five books of Moses in Hebrew, wooden rollers, a velvet Torah cover, and an ornamental breastplate. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. These special gift collections featuring Keith Johnson are available only in April, and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts. 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. For the past 20 years, I've lived in the land of Israel, and I've had many occasions to eat in the home of Orthodox Jews, and on Shabbat, as the two hollow loaves were brought out, representing the double portion of manna that fell from heaven, and that we would not need to be collecting manna the next day, but his provision is there for us. And as they said the blessing, Baruch atah, Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz. I, of course, know the uh, Adonai is really Yehovah. I know that. 
And then as they took the cup and said, Baruch Atah Yehovah, Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Pari Hagafen, I would sit at that table and I would recognize and understand that what they are doing, this is what was done from the time that the Melech Zadik brought forth bread and wine to Abraham. And Yeshua said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. This cup represents the renewed covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, wherever you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. The remembrance of them are all around. And this is what the Almighty put in place for us to understand. And this is why Yeshua said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. We do this in remembrance of him. Shabbat Shalom. When last we spoke with our guest today, he had come here and really expanded the minds of our viewers. And today we are going to talk about some things that are, well, in the words of one person who reviewed his book, Mind Blowing, Corrupting the Image Part Three by Dr. Douglas Hamm. Dr. Doug, welcome to Shabbat Night Live. Hey, thanks for having me back. Certainly, yes. We, uh, you, look, you look younger. Did you reverse aging or something or what happened here? <laughs> I lost a little bit of weight. Ah, yeah. good for you. <laughs> I see, I'm always proud of somebody who does that and improve their health. And uh, I think we were talking about smoothies earlier, right? So yes. Yes. Good for you, well, yeah, excellent, you. you look great. Thank you. So your new book, Corrupting the Image Three, uh, Singularity, Superhumans, and the Second Coming of the Messiah, or Jesus, as it's written on the, on the cover. So these things, uh, I think, can help people understand what's coming. Uh, I've, I've read your book, it's amazing. It really is mind-blowing, because it, it brings to mind Daniel or uh, the Apostle John, when they're writing things that are gonna become prophecy in the future, that involve things that don't exist in their time and space. They don't understand what they're writing. You know, John is writing about, well, I see these things, they look like, I don't know, grasshoppers in the air. And you know, we can probably say, oh, maybe he was talking about helicopters or things of this nature. Right. So there's so much we don't know. And I think we really need to expand our mind and get into things we don't understand using what is being put upon us today and the things we know that are being put upon us to really make sense of what is coming in the future. What is Revelation talking about? And I think you've really hit the nail on the head with this. So uh, I wanna talk about what's in your book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, when I came here last time, I had written Corrupting Image Part Two. Right? Yeah. And in Corrupting Image Two, I went, I did a deep dive into ancient history. And so I looked at uh, Sumerian and Akkadian sources and I wanted to understand why is Satan called the great dragon? Mm -hmm. And I found that in ancient Sumerian literature. Why is there a beast and the woman riding the beast? That is in ancient Sumerian literature, right? And it also talks about the beast who was, is not, and will ascend out of the, out of the abyss, mm. right? So I had to first understand who these characters were. I mean, we kind of knew, but to understand them in their historical context made such a difference for me. And 
But, but of course, there's so much more to this story. And that's what I love about the Bible is that it's telling you history in advance, right? <laughs> that's a good way of putting it, yeah. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, obviously everyone's kind of come through the Bible and like, well, here's what I think what it means, you know, but I feel like I, I kind of hit bedrock when I went in Corrupting Image Volume 2. I went back to these original sources and I, I went back as far as you could go mm-hmm. to say this is what these symbols mean. And once you understand what the symbols mean, then you can come forward and say, you know, how does that apply to the future? And what we're seeing today with all of our technological breakthroughs are simply incredible. Mm-hmm. And they start to line up in ways that are so astounding. Yeah. Right? And, and you know, the first, the first thing in my book, I talk about the, the old gods are really just the future aliens, but they're the same entities. That's what we have to understand is that Satan has been working on this ruse, on this, this deception for a very long time. And Paul talks about a strong delusion that is coming. So there's a very long setup for a strong delusion. If you're gonna put on a play, guess what you have to do? You have to set the stage, right? right? And if you set the stage properly, then the audience is gonna kind of fall into that sense of, oh, this looks kind of real and I can accept this, what the story is. And so Satan has had to set the stage. He's gotta put the backdrop, he's gotta put the props on there Hmm. so that when the actors come on stage, it's all ready. Right, and, and the stage in this case is the, the last several years of, of human history. Satan is not going down without a fight. He intends to win, okay? Sometimes people think, well, Satan knows he's lost and he's just gonna say, okay, I give up. He's not, that's not how he is. He in, totally intends to win and he has a pretty clever strategy. I will give him that. Thankfully, God's gonna win. We know that right. ultimately, right? But it's gonna be an incredible deception and a very strong delusion, one that people are gonna buy into. They're going to sign off and they're gonna uh, enter into this covenant with death and shale. We're gonna get into that later, right? But they, they, you know, they're gonna believe this as it's totally real. And we're seeing this in the movies, right? So, so many things are leading up to what is coming. Yeah, when we talk about, we talk about the movies, uh, before the cameras came on, we were talking about things like The Avengers or other movies or even the, the series on Netflix called Stranger Things, mm-hmm. where there's this alternate reality, but it's around us. We just right. don't see it. It's, it's uh, another dimension. It's not another place. Right. Uh, and we'll get into that in just a second. But, uh, right. you know, I, I think of... Some of the things in your book go, wow, you know, it's always, your book was almost like prophecy because, you know, you see these things coming out where we, with the pandemic Mm -hmm. and uh, the things that people were being asked to do with their health and make decisions about this or that. And nanotechnology, there's assumptions that there's, well, not assumptions, there's some, some research that there's, uh, there's nanotechnology involved in all this. Mm. So is that part of all this coming together? And you could totally see now how that must be done, setting the stage for the end times to happen. Now, one one thing we talked about was, you know, we talk about UFOs, and we're gonna talk about that in a second, but UFOs and and extraterrestrials, uh, and we think of E.T. from the 1980s movie, right? So he's this little guy that came down from another planet. But when you said to me, let's talk about extra dimensionals, Okay, that's something different, right? So this right. is not like you can go to another planet and visit a being. What, what does interdimensional mean? Right, so, so an extraterrestrial means that you could theoretically get in a spaceship and you could eventually travel to a place somewhere in the universe. Mm-hmm. But an extradimensional means that if you traveled you know, long enough and far enough, you could never get there because it's not in this plane of existence. Right. right? It's, it's in some other dimension. Right? And, and so that's the thing. It's not that you can just take a portal and get there, but 
you need some other means of getting there. They exist somehow behind a uh, what what George Knapp, a researcher, calls a thin dimensional, a thin psychical dimensional veil, hmm. or, or membrane is what he calls it. But the Bible calls that the veil. The Bible hmm. Bible talks about this. Um, we see when Ezekiel is sitting by the river Hebar, it says that the heavens were opened to him. At the baptism of Jesus, the heavens were opened. At the stoning of Stephen, the heavens were opened. Revelation 19, John says, I see that I saw the heavens open, right? And so that's that, that veil, that dimension opening up so he can see into that other dimension, right? Exactly. So this isn't just clouds rolling back right. and the sun coming out. Right, right, exactly. It's, it's a different dimension. And there's no way you can get there, you know, again, traveling in a spaceship, you cannot do that. Mm. So that's, that is what researchers are now beginning to understand, is that the, the beings that we have understood as aliens or extra dimension, extraterrestrials or whatever, they, they're now saying, well, actually, we think that they've always been here. Huh. Right? And so again, this is what uh, researcher, a UFO researcher George Knapp talks about. And when I, when I heard him say that, that they've always existed here, because um, somebody asked him, you know, do they exist beyond our solar system? And he's like, no. He says, I think they've always lived here, hmm. but they exist behind a thin psychical dimensional membrane. And I was like, wait, that's what the Bible talks about. The Bible calls that the veil. And we understand that angels, demons exist behind that veil, right? right? That's where they sort of operate. They can come hmm. into this plane of existence somehow. But that's where their, their main headquarters are. Right? So would that explain some of the things that we see in Mayan ruins, uh, the, the depictions, and elsewhere, all around the world, all throughout history? I think we touched on this in the last yes. book, where there's, there's these images that appear to be similar, yet from totally different time periods and totally different opposite ends of the right. world that didn't, each other didn't know they existed. Right. And yet their artwork is the same. Right, because whether it's through their mind's eye or if they're taking some kind of drug to, to create a portal or a, or a window into that other dimension, they're seeing the same basic creatures. Okay. Right, and, and so those same basic creatures, we'll, just, we'll call them fallen angels for now, okay? But those are gonna, you can't call a fallen angel, that's not gonna make the headlines because nobody believes in that today. Right. But if you talk about advanced um, advanced beings from a different place. Well, that's acceptable, right? And so we've had this very long runway leading up to where we are now. And I just want to read a little bit. This is from um, the 2006 movie um, Expel No Intelligence Allowed with uh, Ben Stein. Okay, so which, which uh, first of all, uh, where can people get this book? Because yeah. you and I have a copy, but that's not fair <laughs> to everybody else. So, so, so you can go to uh, Amazon, just put in Corrupting Image, and that'll come up, or Douglas Hamp will come, come up. Okay. Or you can go to my website, douglashamp.com, okay. and they can get the ebook there if they're interested. What's, what's the best way for your ministry to, to have funds to keep going? What's the best way to get it? Um, yeah, they can go to uh, douglashamp.com okay, and get the, get the ebook. But if they want the paper book, sadly, you have to go to Amazon. That's the only place where you can get okay, it. Okay, very well. So that's, that's, all I can, that's all I can suggest. And what page are we reading from? So this is, a, this is on already. page uh, four and five. Okay. So ben, ben Stein is asking, well, how did, how did life start? And uh, Dawkins says, well, nobody really knows, but you know, somehow organic life happened. And, um, and he says, okay, so what do you think is the possibility 
that intelligent design might have turned out to be the answer to some issues in genetics or Darwinian evolution. And so then Richard Dawkins, who was an avowed atheist, okay, we gotta make that very, very clear. He's very much an atheist. And he says, well, you know, maybe it could have happened like this, that sometime in the universe a, civil, a civilization evolved, uh, probably through some kind of Darwinian means, and then um, it designed a form of life that they seeded onto perhaps this planet. Hmm. All right, so he's okay with there being some kind of, of intelligent design, but it just can't be God. And then- um, <laughs> Of course not. <laughs> and then Dawkins goes on, and that designer could well have, a, could be a higher intelligence from elsewhere in the universe, but that higher intelligence would have had to have come about uh, some explicable, some Darwinian process, okay? So he's not against intelligent design, he's just against God. He's specifically mm -hmm. against God of the Bible, right? But the idea that there could be some kind of, of higher being an intelligent designer, he's very much open to that, huh. right? And even in the, um, you know, Francis Crick is the co-discoverer of the um, molecular structure of DNA. And uh, he, he wrote a book in the 80s uh, about um, uh, directed panspermia, okay? Okay. So the whole idea of directed panspermia is that DNA is so complex, it could not just have happened randomly, but it basically life on this planet was somehow seeded hmm. that you know, and, and higher intelligences from somewhere else created DNA and then they transported it maybe on spaceships or something and it got here, hmm. right? So that, that's kind of the, the backdrop to this whole thing is that you know, we're not against intelligence design, we're just against the God of the Bible. <laughs> you know, so that there could be an advanced race of alien beings that have sort of been watching over us. Hmm. They've been uh, helping us to grow, and um, and maybe they're going to come back sometime in the future, right? That's an idea that we see in the movies all the time. That is what people are very much open to. They just don't like the idea of an all-powerful creator God, the God of Abraham, hmm. Isaac, and Jacob. They're so they love that. the artwork, but they deny the artist. Exactly. <laughs> Or, you know, maybe there is an artist, but he really isn't that powerful, right? <laughs> and it's a he, dog artist, not a well, human if artist. Well, if you saw the movie um, uh, Prometheus, okay, mm -hmm. in the movie Prometheus, the, these strange-looking uh, alien beings, they come to planet Earth, and one of them takes some strange potion, and then he sort of disintegrates and falls into the rivers of, of Earth, okay? And from his sacrifice, from his DNA, comes all life on planet Earth. Oh wow! Right? That's the basic premise, and then you know that almost sounds like Easter well, coming down in an egg in the, in the Euphrates River and out comes exactly. A, a rabbit. Well, fast forward a couple, you know, several thousand years or millions of years in the movie, and then humanity goes out looking for their creator. Mm. It turns out when they meet their creator, they don't like him. He's a real jerk, <laughs> and it turns out that we don't like this creator guy. And I think that's the basic scenario: mm. is that. People are again open to the idea that there could be a creator, but he's not all powerful, he's not God. He is just some advanced alien being. And I think we're gonna see really that the tables turn, right? What is good is gonna be bad, bad is gonna be good. And our creator that we love and we praise and worship, the world eventually is gonna say, okay, he exists, but he's just an advanced being and we're advanced beings, we're evolving and we don't like this guy. And so we're gonna fight against him. That is where the world is going to come to. So he is our equal and we can beat him. Exactly. That's what the deception is. Right. 
right? Mm. So Satan, again, has been laying this foundation. And I think for the last, you know, roughly 70, 80 plus years, we've had, you know, the Foo Fighters from World War II. Explain had, the Foo Fighters, because all I know is the, the, the band, the Foo Fighters. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the Foo Fighters, that was the, that was the original name of uh, these extraterrestrial, you know, unidentified flying objects that were happening um, in World War II. Ah. Right, because people were up much more up in the skies, obviously. And then they started having these encounters with these unexplainable craft, and mm. you know they eventually became dubbed as UFOs. Now they're UAPs, which are unidentified aerial phenomenon. But um, these these started showing up around World War II. Okay, mm. so the question is, what are these things, right? And so we've had all these years of these craft, they're very well documented, and, and they're now beyond the shadow of a doubt. People keep waiting for the, the, big, uh, big, the big reveal, when is it gonna be disclosed that we, we know about aliens? Well, they disclosed this back in the 50s, right? Right. It's just, sometimes it got muddled in-, in Well, there the, were some documents yeah. uh, recently, last couple of years that were released, right, by the US government? Exactly, in 2004, uh, the United States Navy released footage from fighter pilots who were tracking a very clear um, craft, looked like a kind of like a tic-tac. Hmm. And this thing was traveling at incredible speeds and they could hmm. barely keep up with it. And then it just zoomed away and left them in their dust. And it did, you know, uh, very strange um, maneuvers that don't seem to follow the laws of physics. Mm -hmm. But again, if you understand that maybe they're not in this physical domain, but they exist in a different dimension, but they can somehow materialize here, they're not bound by the laws of physics as we understand them, hmm. right? So they're operating at a totally different level. So again, if you are a Darwinian evolutionist, an atheist perhaps, and you think that, well, there is no God, but there are advanced beings, then you think that somehow they have to, uh, they've evolved, they're much you know, further ahead in their evolution, maybe by thousands of years. And, um, and, and so who are these beings, right? Well, we don't know, that's the problem. Um, and and it, it made me think about the um, um, the Twilight Zone, where uh, an alien comes and uh, he's he's got a book and it says to serve humans. They're, the linguists are able to translate this thing to serve humans, and and so everyone's excited. Wow, these aliens have come to serve humans. They're here to help us, and and so <clears throat> one of the aliens convinces people to get on the spaceship and take them back to the to the mother planet and to you know show what it's all about. But <laughs> at the end of the at the end of the show. Uh, the lady says to the, this guy, John, he's like, John, don't get on the, on the ship. I translated the rest of the book. It's a cookbook <laughs> right? to serve humans, right? So, you know, it turns out to serve humans isn't for dinner. To, it's not to help us, but to serve us for dinner, right? And, and so I think, you know, there's a sense of euphoria that like, wow, these aliens, these UFOs, they're here maybe to help us. They've kind of been watching over us. Sometimes they have stopped uh, you know, they've gone to nuclear missile silos and they've turned them off to show us their power. Maybe they're trying to tell us that they're against nuclear weapons or against nuclear warfare or something like that. Um, maybe they have some kind of invested interest in this planet as well. Right? And, and so there's this sense that, well, they're incredibly powerful. They are light years ahead of us as far as our technology. Um, we don't stand a chance technologically against them. And maybe they're kind of watching over us, right? And this is the basic premise of the movie Eternals, is that the movie Eternals was that there's an advanced race of beings. They're here only to, to protect us from the deviants. They're here in case things get so bad, then they're gonna step up and save the planet. And I, I think that's kind of the basic scenario is that there's some kind of race of beings 
maybe there are many races of beings that are, 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 have been here. They exist behind that thin psychical dimensional membrane and they're here to kind of watch over us. And I think that's the, that's the basic backdrop to the strong delusion, right? Because what happens next, according to scripture, God says that he's gonna send two witnesses and they're gonna come with what? Superpowers, mm. right? And, you know, I mean, I used to kind of get to the middle of the book Revelation and you're like, oh yeah, there's these two witnesses and they're so boring. But then I, I, I went back and I looked at it again. I'm like, wait, they're kind of the main focus, right? They're the, they're the star attraction for the first three and a half years. Their ministry was gonna span for 42 months and what are they gonna be able to do? They're gonna be able to stop it from raining for three and a half years on the whole planet. Can you imagine that? I mean, if it doesn't rain for three and a half years, what's that gonna do? That's gonna destroy our, our, our crops, right? Uh, that's, gonna, that's gonna lead to forest fires. Um, it's gonna lead to massive economic upheaval. Uh, and that's just one thing they're going to do. Starvation. And Starvation, right? All the things, die. All the things that, that, that Revelation is talking about, that's what these guys are going to do. Hmm. And so do you think the world's going to like these two guys? I don't think so. And what's their basic message? Repent, right? right. That's what God does. Whenever he sends a judgment, of course, the, the return of Jesus is the big judgment. So before that time, he always sends a witness. In this case, two witnesses, because it's that severe, hmm. that uh, the world needs to turn. And so their basic message is, hey, repent, God's coming. And the world's like, we don't like you. So what do you think they're going to do? They're going to try to stop them. And it even says if anybody tries to kill them, that they're going to have fire coming out of their mouth. Maybe it comes from heaven. We don't know. But there's no way to stop these guys. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. We're going to come back, talk more about this. All right, so we are talking about corrupting the image three. And just as we are talking about two witnesses, I want you to do two things. Number one, I want you to go to Doug Hamp. Douglas Hamp? Yes. Douglashamp.com? Douglashamp.com. Douglashamp.com. That's where we get the book, Corrupting the Image 3. Get the book, or you can get it on Amazon, but go to both places. Get both. Why not? And the second thing I want you to do is support this ministry. Without your support, we can't bring Dr. Doug in here. We can't learn of these incredibly important things that help us make sense of Revelation. So someone else donated to help you watch this today. We're asking you to donate so that others can see this in the future. We'll give you a couple minutes. Thank you very much. And thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. And I hope you also supported Corrupting the Image 3 by going to douglashamp.com. And Dr. Doug, thank you again for being here at Shabbat Night Live. And before the break, we were talking about the two witnesses. Yes. And how when we first read Revelation, we are assuming, oh, these are the saviors of everything. The, you know, and, and so we, that's how we read it. Right. But by what they're doing... You take a second approach and go, wait a second, what is everybody else going to think about these guys? So let's talk about that again, what, what they're doing, what people think of them. Right, yeah, and, and first of all, I just want to dis discuss a little bit that if you read the book of Revelation chronologically, mm -hmm. then you're going to think that, well, everything, you know, first A, then B, then C, then D. But really, the way we see things laid out in Scripture is that there, there are themes, and then you have a repeating theme, and then you have a supporting theme that kind of gives more details, right? And we, we do that. We, we really see this happening all over the place. And this is what I think about the two witnesses, is that they're not some, some separate event that's happening, but they're the, they're the main thing that's happening for those three and a half years. Again, mm. before God sends judgment, he will send his witnesses to say, okay, your sin has reached up before my face, right? It says that the sin of Babylon has come up before God's face, right? We saw that 
uh, at the time of Nineveh, right? That mm-hmm. sin has come up before God's face. And so he sent Jonah, right? Who didn't want to go, right? But these two witnesses are going to come and they are going to be the ones who are going to warn the world that, hey, the creator is coming back. This is a time to get ready. But the, crea- the, the world is going to say, we don't really like these guys. Because again, they're going to come with superpowers, and uh, you know, sometimes people say, oh, they're gonna have superpowers, that's ridiculous. But they are, right? And if you just simply take a look at what the prophets of old were able to do, think about Elijah. Elijah was able to outrun a chariot. That's a superpower, okay? Elijah was able to call down fire from heaven. That's a superpower. Elijah could do so many things that today would be like, well, that's a superpower, right? I mean, that's, that's the modern terminology. So all we're doing is we're kind of taking the, the miracles of old and we're just putting them into superpower terminology. And mm. once you see that, well, it makes sense. And again, what I think that the world is going to do in regards to these two witnesses is they're not going to say that, oh, these are servants of the Most High God. But they're going to say these are agents of some higher um, extraterrestrial being whom, yes, he's very powerful. Yes, maybe he seeded our planet with his seed, so maybe we sort of owe our existence to him. But like the movie Prometheus, we don't like this guy, Hmm. right? And we don't like what he's demanding of us. And we think that he's a terrible overlord that we need to get rid of, right? So when the two witnesses come on the scene, they're going to be giving this message of basically repent, and the world's gonna say, we don't like you. All right, so... When you have two guys that are causing it to not rain, they're striking the earth with plagues as often as they desire, and they're turning the waters to blood. What do you think the world's gonna do? Just sit around and say, oh, well, that's really a bummer. If they know that these two guys are responsible, what's gonna be the response? Well, we've seen like a zillion movies, right? You send in the military, you send in the special ops, the Navy SEALs, whatever it may be, and you take them out. Mm -hmm. But scripture says that if anybody tries to harm them, that fire comes out from their mouth and destroys them, just like Elijah did when some army, some uh, soldiers were sent to him and fire came down and consumed them, right? So this also begs the question, who are these guys? Right, yeah, right? exactly. You know, so um, the, the ancient Jews, the rabbis understood that both Moses and Elijah would show up before the coming of Messiah. All right. Now, Elijah is pretty much easy because it says that in the book of Malachi that he's going to send Elijah before the coming of the Lord. Moses isn't quite as clear, but you still have uh, many references that are, that are talking about this. And when we start looking at what these two witnesses are going to do, uh, you think about the waters turning to blood. That was something specifically that Moses did. Calling down fire from heaven, that was something specifically that Elijah did and striking the earth with plagues, that's something that both of them did together, mm-hmm. is that, that I, I'm very much convinced that, that Moses and Elijah, or at least two individuals who come in the spirit of Moses and Elijah, okay, will be the, the two guys that are actually coming. Well, that's very plausible because you think about it with the transfiguration. Right. Who was who at the top of the mountain when Yeshua right. was? So he's transfigured, obviously that means pay attention, I'm turning on the bright light here. We have Elijah and Moses. Right. They must come first before the Messiah. And, and when you mentioned about the plagues and turning the water into uh, uh, the water into blood, for example, yeah. well, I, I've noticed, and I brought this up on a previous uh, show of Shabbat Night Live. Uh, not that I noticed; I think it was downloaded to me, and I went, "Oh, that's interesting." <laughs> Is that the very first plague in Egypt was turning water to wine? 
or water to blood. Well, right. and the first miracle of Yeshua was turning water to wine. Right. So these themes keep being brought up in Scripture right. to help us understand what happened before is going to happen again. Whether physically, spiritually, or some other way, these things are going to happen again. Exactly right. to your point. Right. And, and remember in, in Corrupting the Image Volume 2, we talked about Mount Hermon. Mm-hmm. All right. So Jesus took his disciples to the base of Mount Hermon to Caesarea Philippi, or the gates of Hades. And he right. said the yes. gates of Hades will not prevail. Right? And then he took his disciples to the top, Peter, James, and John. They went to the top of that mountain, which we talked about was Mount Bashan, mm-hmm. uh, which is the snake dragon. Uh, Mount Hermon was this place that Satan had claimed. God says, no, this is actually my mountain. And that's where Moses and Elijah showed up. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think it's, I, I, I really do believe it's going to be those two guys. But again, it just shows that there's this connection, right? So the gods of old become the aliens of tomorrow. Hmm. Right, and that's part of the deception. So, as these guys are are warning the world, and they're saying the world, you need to repent. The world says, no, we're not going to do that. So then they send in the special ops, or, or whoever it is, to try to kill these two. But guess what? None of our weapons are effective against them, because nothing is going to be able to take them out. The only thing that's going to stop them will eventually be the beast that ascends out of the abyss. Right? And that's why in volume two, I went ahead to say, who is this beast that we're talking about? Okay, and that's a whole other story, right? But Which we'll get into. Exactly, right, exactly. It's <laughs> more coming. <laughs> right, uh, but, but the two witnesses are gonna be loathed because they're the ones who are causing all this trouble on the planet. And so if we put it in the modern context and say, these are not, these are not beings sent from the most high God, but these are advanced aliens, and we need to somehow try to stop them. So now the world has a problem. Well, how do you stop two guys that have supernatural powers? Our technology is worthless against them. We need somebody that can, that can fight fire with fire. Mm. Who do you turn to? Well, I'll remember, there are these other alien beings that seem to be rather nice to us, that are kind of watching over us. We know that they're incredibly powerful because we've already had all these skirmishes with these other aliens. And this is where the, the script gets reversed, right? Good is bad, bad is good. So the so what we understand to be Satan and his, his dudes are actually the good guys. And then the two witnesses become the bad guys. Because nobody likes judgment. Nobody likes being told they're wrong right. and no one, yeah. Right, mm. right. Mm. So, so then it's a matter of, well, we need to somehow stop these two and we are so desperate to stop these two because they are an existential threat to planet Earth and to our way of life and to humanity as we know it. We have to do anything to stop them. And this is where the world is gonna be uh, at, at such a place, such desperation, that they will, they'll say, whatever the cost, we will pay it. We are willing to get rid of these two guys, right? And so that's where I think the world's gonna turn to the, you know, to the, the so-called UFOs and basically Satan and his dudes and say, can you help us? Can you stop these two guys and get rid of them? So we see, uh, so there's, so we see hints of the UFOs here and there and people say, ah, it's a conspiracy theory. And like my wife and I always say uh, re- regarding things of health, the difference between a conspiracy theory and truth is about 
is about six months. <laughs> so just wait for it. So is that what we're doing here too? Is like you, we see UFOs are still, eh, they're kind of a conspiracy theory, but some people are like, no, maybe they are true. So this will increase to the point where yes, absolutely, the things we thought were were this conspiracy theory had, did show up to the Mayans. They did show up in ancient Rome. They did show up today. Is that, is that where we're going? It, it, exactly, yeah. I mean, that's exactly where we're going. And, and you see that it becomes more ubiquitous. It's more accepted. You know, it's not kind of the fringy type stuff that you had back in the 50s, 60s, where you're just an absolute nutcase if you believe in aliens. Actually, I would say that, uh, well, I don't know the exact percentage, but there's a huge amount of people in academia, in the government that are, it's a foregone conclusion. Well, of course there are aliens, hmm. right? And, you know, like I said, Francis Crick, the co-discoverer of the, of the um, double helix structure of DNA, he said that it had to be directed panspermia, hmm. right? Uh, Richard Dawkins, an avowed atheist, he's fine with, with, with some kind of intelligent designer, as long as it's not God. It just has to be somebody else. So here we have this counterfeit that just keeps coming up, this right. counterfeit, and then that's what flips this, the, the, the narrative. I can see that. Right. So now when we say aliens, we have to remember, I think of the very first part of this show, I wanted us to make sure we got that in people's minds. We're gonna have to keep pounding this away, is that it's not extraterrestrials. Right. We're talking about extra dimensionals, right. right? Yeah, so these right. aliens are from a different dimension, but they've been here all the time. Right, mm. and, and that is becoming uh, much more mainstream. This is where a lot of the ufologists are coming to this conclusion, that they're not from far, far away by spaceship, but they're here, they're close, they've always been here, mm. they've existed on this planet from as long as we can know, far longer than, than our evolution, as, as people have in their narrative, okay? So they're far away from our daily, uh, our, our daily lives and our, our daily construct of what reality is. Right. Far away in that sense. Right, and, but, you know, and something else that's really interesting about the whole UFO phenomenon is that oftentimes you see them coming up out of the sea, hmm. right? Yeah, well, why is that? And, and this begs the question, wait, why are they coming up out of the sea? Well, because they live here, mm. right? That's the point, is that they live here. And remember in the book of Revelations, John says, I was standing on this, the, the sand of the, of the shore and I saw the beast rising up out of the water. Yes. I was like, oh my goodness, like there it is, right? That he's rising up out of the water. Hmm. We're even told that you know, everything's gonna worship God, those that are on the earth, above the earth, on the earth, and in the sea, right? So that, you know, again, I'm not saying that they're swimming with the fish, but, but Maybe there's some kind of a, a portal. I don't know. Well, here, I mean, here in Hebrew thought, I mean, you probably know this too, is that, that the water, there's, uh, so the, the water on the earth is Maim, and, and, the, and the sky is called Shemaim. Mm -hmm. So it's the waters above the waters. So mm -hmm. there's water that comes down and there's right. waters here. So that's right. how the Hebrews uh, decided to, to call it and how, what, their, what their concept of it was. But water also always represents the spirit. Mm. So is the sea representative of a spirit world awesome. where they arise from. Yeah. And that's what Yehovah is trying to get us to understand. Yeah, And sometimes when we take these things a little bit more literal mm -hmm. than symbolic, and it's like, oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah. that's what it is. And that's what we're seeing, right? That's mm. the point is like, that's what the evidence that we're seeing, for camera footage, right? This isn't just anecdotal stuff, but we actually have footage, the U.S. military has footage of them going into the sea and coming up out of the mm. sea, 
right? It's very peculiar. And how many people will debunk that? Because now, I mean, you see it all over uh, Instagram and things like this where there's apps where you can make it look like a car just rises up into the air and starts flapping its wings, which I saw yesterday. Sure. And so there's all this fancy technology where your eyes see it on video and then you go, well, is that real or is it, is it not? Right. And so even the real footage is now going to be debunked going, oh, that's just, a, that's just an app. You know, that, well, certainly that's possible, but I think you have, you have military personnel who are on record, right? Their reputation is at stake. Uh, we have footage from the actual airplanes that are following these things, hmm. right? So this is official government-released footage. Hmm. So it hasn't been doctored. Like, that's the point. Like, this is the real stuff. This isn't just something that you found on TikTok, right? But this is, this is official government footage of what's going on. And you can hear the pilots saying, whoa, like, look how fast that thing is going. I can't keep up with it. Mm. You know, it's doing these incredible turns, right? That's what I think you have to really consider the source, right? So in my book, I, you know, I don't quote from TikTok, right? <laughs> I, I quote from official government documents and footage that are showing this. Mm. Um, and and so, so that's really the distinction. So, you know, again, the way I'm seeing it all coming together is that God sends the two witnesses. Because look, this is all gonna happen on God's timetable. Sometimes people say, well, well, why hasn't it happened yet? Look, God will let it happen when he wants it to happen. Satan is not running the show here. God decides. You mm. know, the, the seals, guess who opens those? Jesus. And when does he open them? When he feels like it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's not on Satan's timetable. So he's gonna open those seals when he feels like opening the seals. And whenever that happens, I don't know, right? But when it does happen, Satan is gonna be ready because he's got the stage all set. He's got all the props, he's got the backdrops. And so whenever Jesus decides to open up the curtain, say, let's start the show, Satan's like, I'm ready, right? And so this is where the two witnesses come, the world interprets them as being hostile aliens who are a, an existential threat to planet Earth. And so then, then they go looking for a, you know, some other way to fight against these guys. Mm. And that's where Satan and his strong delusion starts coming in. Because it says that they did not receive the love of truth, so they received the strong delusion, mm. right? And, and what are the two witnesses coming? Well, they're speaking truth. They're speaking God's truth. They're saying, hey, world, it's time to repent because the king is coming and judgment is coming. And the world says, we don't want to hear that. We're not interested in that. And so they're gonna look for a counter solution to be able to get rid of those guys. In fact, the world is gonna be so excited when these guys are finally killed that they're gonna send gifts to one another. Right? This shows you how united the world is, that this has been a global threat to everybody. And they're just, they're ecstatic when they're- when So they're having gone. a one world government just in our physical reality would lend itself easily to this, where everybody, the whole world is on, on one playing field and we're gonna get rid of these two witnesses. And do you think that, so we talked about movies, the Avengers and the Prometheus and things like this. Do you think Yehovah has allowed man to come up with those ideas or put the ideas in his head to create these movies, to have us prepare psychologically for this event to come out? Because what you're talking about sounds a lot like a superhero movie. Exactly. And so are, are we being conditioned by Yehovah? Again, it's his timetable. Uh, right. Is he saying, get ready, because this is gonna be your reality. Get used to it, watch the movie. Well, you know, I, well, I, we talked about this in Corrupting Image Volume 2, right? I show that the, the whole motif of the hero 
has been here for, for, for millennia, right? And, you know, probably the, the most widely known hero that we, that we know of from the ancient world is from, is from uh, Hercules, right? Mm, Hercules, yes. Heracles. And so I talked about there was this bilingual inscription that was found in the island of Malta where um, in Phoenician it said Melkart and in Greek it said Heracles or Hercules, right? And this was going back to the figure known as Nimrod, or in the ancient world, he was called Ninurta, right? Who was the hero. He was a quintessential hero mm. of the ancient world. And Ninurta was the son of Enlil. And Enlil was Satan, okay? So, so Satan has a son, Nimrod, the rebel, right? But in the ancient you know, parlance, it was Satan or Enlil. He's the, he's the guy that, that holds the power. You need to go to him. He's sort of watching over humanity, kind of. And then Ninurta is his son, who holds his power throne and his authority and can act in his name. That was the beast that was, is not, and ascends out of the abyss, right? So it's just a, re, it's just a recasting of the same characters with new names, right? They just have new titles. And so this, this, this hero motif is really the, basically the same hero motif that you can become a god. I mean, let's face it, the Avengers are gods, Right. Uh, in fact, you know, the Hulk beats up on um, on um, Loki one time. Right. He says, "Ah, mm-hmm. oh, some lousy god." Right. So Loki's like, "I'm a god." Right. But it's like you're kind of a weak god, and that's what the Hulk thought is mm-hmm. that you're not so Im- impressive. Right. So just claiming you're a god doesn't do anything. But the one who actually has the power. Right. And I think the so you know I I love the stories. I think they're a lot of fun. Whether it's you know DC Comics or uh, Marvel. Right. I think that stuff is fun, but if you have eyes to see, you're like, okay, there's some, there's a there's a subtext going on here, and as you, as you go into the the Marvel universe, you begin to see that that um, death, the the there's a character named Death who is really behind so many of these things. Mm. Um, you know, you don't get into that till you're deep in the comic books and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. You know, but but that's a, what a lot of it is, and so I think we're just being set up, right? I, I don't know who you know whether. Anyway, I don't know. It's it's all fine. <laughs> They're fun stories, but there is a, a deep subcontext. That's the point. All right. Well, we're going to get more into that subcontext next issue, next episode. So, uh, can you join us next week as well? Absolutely. All right. We're barely scratching the surface here, and I hope you're having as much fun with this as I am, because this is really important. Fun, but it's important information. We need to open our minds to things beyond our current reality, beyond things we see happening in world governments and things like this. Yes, that's all important, but we need to keep our eyes open to the spiritual as well, and Yehovah has some interesting ways of revealing that to us, including Corrupting the Image Part 3 with Dr. Douglas Hamp. Join us next week on Shabbat Night Live for episode two. See you then. Shavu Tov. Hey, welcome to a special edition of Shabbat Night Live. Last time we did this, we were speaking with someone who had been to Ukraine on the ground, was helping us dispel some false narratives, helping us understand what was really going on over there. And he gave us some really good pointers. And Trey, uh, Trey Sprinkle, I just want to welcome you back and uh, thank you for coming back with us. You had, we're in the middle of a story last time. We didn't let you finish. <laughs> We'd run out of time. And uh, to, my, to my recollection, it was something about you gotten on a train uh, with the folks you were helping in Ukraine. You're going over there to train some soldiers, and uh, you got to the border, and they had to switch cars because the tracks were different or something, right? Could you reiterate what that was all about? Yeah, yeah. So um, it was a, a Soviet-era train, and so the, the train is, I mean, super old. The, the cars are only like 
maybe six foot on the inside by maybe six foot, and three of us were in the same bunk room, and the they're very just very small Soviet old cars, and because it was told to us that Stalin didn't want Germany to be able to come across, they made the tracks smaller, and so they had to stop and switch wheels on the train, mm. um, and that took about four hours. Well, at the same time, we had military people with you know automatic guns all around us that were going through our stuff, and 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 all we could understand they were saying was they wanted our documents, mm-hmm. and they, we gave them our passports. And so four hours into this, I'm recording on my phone, and I'm like, all right, I don't know if I've ever been more scared. This reminds me of World War II, like the last time that anybody came in here for a fight from America was World War II. So mm. this is what our grandpas would have felt. And uh, um, we weren't armed, we didn't have anything because, they, and so we're sitting there and we're like, ah, the, the, the stress of this, um, yeah, it, it pelled into comparison of anything else that we've been through just feeling helpless. Right, and you didn't know, I remember last week you telling us that you didn't know who was who. Were these Russians, were the Ukrainians? Who were these guys with the, with the guns? Yeah, and so at that time they had switched, you have to wear an armband, which is crazy, but it's just how we identified each other. Russia's wearing red. Well, the Ukrainians were wearing yellow when we first went. Well, they were wearing blue this time. And so the yellow wasn't there, so we're like, I don't know who this is, is this a Russian? Yeah. Are we about to be POWs? because they said that there were no POWs if you were an American. So what's about to happen? Like, did I just make this entire trip and, and now I'm, it's over for me? Um, yeah, right. It was crazy. Well, I know what that feels like too, even just, you know, just legally, if you're going across the border, like going into Mexico, for example, for a vacation or something, when someone takes your passport, I don't know, if people have never crossed international borders before, that's your life you're handing over to someone because if they take that, you're messed up. Oh, you're done, yeah. The best thing you can do is hopefully get to the State Department. Maybe they'll let you in. And in a war zone, they usually don't let you in. Um, and so, yeah, they had our passports for four hours, and we were, we were terrified. And the passport is such a big deal that no matter where we go, I always have it on my body. Mm-hmm. Um, I sleep with it, you know, in yeah. case we had to get out and run, we have a passport, so. Gosh. Um, yeah, if you haven't ever been out of the country, it's a big deal. So you're good, you go into Ukraine. Now to, again, to reiterate what you're doing over there, you're with a group helping to train Ukrainians to defend themselves. It's not about taking sides, this is not about politics. It's not about, let's, let's dispel some of that. So last time we dispelled a little bit of a, a false narrative that of what was going on there. We've all heard, especially on the uh, right versus left side of, of uh, of the narrative here in the US, that Russia went in to take care of the Nazis and get rid of these bio labs. Well, okay, whatever, that doesn't matter. All we know is that there's folks on the ground in trouble and that the people you're running into are saying, there are no Nazis. Sure, so um, I cannot pronounce the unit that they're calling the Nazis. It's like as, as something, Azov. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what they call them, nickname is Azov. Um, we actually got to talk to some of those guys. Um, and it's a, the, the Nazi sign that they're using yeah, is a, everybody's all up in arms about yep, yeah. It's a Finnish hunting sign. So the Finns use it as a hunting sign. They turned it upside down and made a slash through it. They don't really even know what the Nazis are. They, this is not, this is like, if you see some of our military guys that had Mohawks and painted their faces, 
this is what they are to them. You know, they're, they're, these guys have been at war for eight years, especially this unit. They're one of the most renowned units for being able to stop Russia and push them out. They're the ones that are in Mariupol now fighting very hard. I think there's maybe 2,000 people left against 15,000 Russians as I left out of there. And this platoon is one of them, and they're doing, they're, I mean, they're fighting hard. Hmm. Nazi thing isn't even a thing to them. It's only a political thing. Hmm. Um, there, we didn't see anybody with that. We didn't see anybody that had that idea. And when we went there, we specifically started asking them. We got stopped by U.S. Customs on the way out, and they asked us. Mm-hmm. And so we started looking around, started asking the guys as they would come through and, and when they get their relief. And we'd say, what does this mean? And they, we finally found somebody that was an originator. And they said, this is a Finnish hunting sign that we just made as like we're hunting Russians. Mm. Yeah, But we have blown that out of proportion in American politics. So where do we stand morally on this? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Like you said, it's, it's and we're getting into, into this a little bit more too later, where we talk about how on 9-11, the attacks happen, we all remember. 9-12, as you like to call it, everybody comes together. All of a sudden, the churches have more <laughs> attendance than they ever did. And it doesn't matter whether you're on this side of the political spectrum or that, it doesn't matter, we're together, we're in on this together. So you're over there helping folks. Where do we stand as believers, as Torah-observant believers, morally? I mean, that's really what you're over there for. Politics, who cares? You saw a video of a six-year-old girl who died, and you went, I'm a dad. I need to help these other dads survive and get back to their families, right? That's correct. So um, morally, I'm not seeking war. I'm not a war junkie that's going over there trying to get in a fight or any of that. Morally, I looked and I saw a country that is attacking another country To this point, they've killed somewhere in the neighborhood of 350 children that didn't know their right from their left, and that's shedding innocent blood. And so I decided at that point I could be on the side of the children, of the people that are, they just, they don't want to be enslaved to Russia. They don't want to be, you know, under communism. They're, I mean, they're not capitalists, but they're not communists. They're, for the first time, they can vote and decide if they like a president or if not. Um, they, you know, before, 30 years ago, they couldn't tell you that they didn't like their leader. Now they can. They can say, I don't like him. I voted for this one. I'd rather have this one just like we can. And so um, while I realize all of this may be coming down to, you know, Revelation, you know, chapters in Revelation for us, what I know in my heart and what I've seen in person is that innocent blood is being shed. Um, and not only children. I can't tell you how many people whenever I was in Irpin and Bucha that I would see what looked like my grandparents. Mm. You know, little old men and old ladies who have been married for 40 years, holding hands, walking through the street, and looking at all of their stuff being destroyed and their neighbors that were tied up and executed. And, and, and seeing the the fear in their eyes that um, I just watched my neighbors killed. I've just lost everything that I had. Um, but in America, we want to make this some political thing because the current leader is, is not somebody that we like and he's in favor of it. Mm. So what can we do? I mean, you're going over there. This is what you felt Yehovah calling you to do. And your family sent you over there, obviously praying for you hoping you come back safely. So uh, you've mentioned before the things that we don't need to be sending over there, like uh, uh, bandages and supplies and all this, because it's like, eh, it's kind of like America. We got that stuff. What do we need to do to help uh, 
the folks over there in a, in a practical sense? What can we do when we're staying here and we're not going over like, like you are? So um, the biggest portion really, well, prayer is number one. Um, you know, as Americans, we forget how really the power of prayer. And if we, if we really put time in prayer fast, it, 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 is the, it is the most powerful thing we can do. But individually, um, probably the best thing to do is find groups that are like mine. There are a lot of them that are actually there. So I'm not a big supporter of the bigger organizations that use most of this funding to pay salaries. Mm -hmm. um, our group doesn't do that. 100% of this goes to sustaining those people. So there are several groups. They're not all Americans. They're from all different countries that are over there in one capacity or another helping. Whether they're helping... Um, as as medical professionals, mm -hmm. not supplies, but professionals, um, training professionals. There are just a lot of things that they need support on, being able to um, you know, make sure that they have vehicles, make sure that they have gasoline and diesel, make sure that some of them may need their bills paid at home while they're over there. Things like that will help the, the Ukrainian people, in my view, the most. Um, as individuals. Now, as a government, that's different. But as individuals, we could help them a lot with our finances because a hundred dollar, a hundred grieving to them is like three dollars to us. And so the average citizen over there makes about 600 US dollars a month. Um, so the 600 US dollars that you might send them goes an incredibly long way to being able to sustain somebody there that's helping them. Now, you obviously know good ways to get such aid to people without being, you know, redirected or given to salaries and administration and all this kind of stuff. So what is the organization you are involved with? So uh, two, one of them is um, AmericanOutlawNation.com. That's my company. Okay. And the other one is Justice. You can look it up... Um, I'm gonna have to tell you the website. Okay. Look at the link below for the there website. There we go, there it's right there, it's um, on the screen, no yeah. worries. <laughs> it's, and um, so that's my 501c3. You can donate to the 501c3. You can come to American Outlaw Nation and you can, uh, you can just ask me, you don't have to donate to us, I'll help you, I'll help you deliver it to somebody else. Um, but what our group's doing now is we are putting former military that they're, they were specialized in training um, other countries in order to have a, a unit. And so these guys are retired and we, we're putting them in there, we're putting medical professionals in to be able to doctor the, the trauma. You know, right now the trauma is not actual bullet wounds, but it's like secondary frag where a bomb blows up and they get fragged and so we have people over there fixing that for them. And so that's probably the, uh, the best way I know how if you, if you wanted to donate to that, that okay. would be very much appreciated. Now, first of all, I wanna make sure that people understand we don't have you up here saying this so that you get a salary out of this. You don't take a salary from that organization. That's correct. I don't make a dollar from it. Um, and I have a business, and, I, and my business pays for everything that I do. Here in the U.S. Here in the U.S. Yeah. Everything that I do, 100% goes to uh, the aid of Ukraine. Okay. Um, and it, it goes to sustaining people that we have there, almost like missionaries, right? Okay. Um, you know, in the church world, maybe it's, it's a little more hard, like hardened men. It's war. Um, than, than the normal church world missionary. Sure. But basically, it's the same thing as having missionaries there. Now, you have just, uh, you have some really talented guys over there. Like you mentioned, these are ex-military. So uh, I know you're mentioning some SEALs. You had Navy yeah, SEALs over there. There are, are retired SEALs that are there that are, are 
you know, jumping in feet first and, and just doing everything they can to help everybody out. Uh, there's a retired army over there. There's, there's a lot more Americans, specialized Americans. None of them are active. None mm-hmm. of them are breaking any rules, but they've all been retired that are over there using their skill sets to make a difference. Great, and there's a, you told me there's a Canadian There's, a, there's Canadian there. Special Forces there. There's one of the most famous Canadian snipers there, Wally. Um, he has the longest shot uh, ever recorded, so oh, really? he's over wow. there now. Okay, um, a little bit of pride welling up here. Yeah, okay. ca- yes. Canadians are famous for that. Um, and so, it, well, it, we have a big country, and there's big spaces in between, so, so you know, it, you know, it yeah. makes sense to shoot far, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, yeah, and the, there are just a lot of um, ex-military guys, ex-law enforcement that are over there that are amazing, and there's there's just normal people. Um, mm. I, I won't say his last name, but our buddy Paul. Paul is. He won't tell us how old he was. He had a birthday over there. I'm guessing he's in his late 60s, 70s. And he's from California. And he hmm. donated his van. And he's done evacuations from Irpin. And well, some of the things that we don't think of, he's, he's the one setting up the making sure you can take a shower, making sure you can wash your clothes. Hmm. If batteries go out on a car, he's fixing the car. There's just a lot of people over there that could use sustainment because they're really making a difference. Especially because this is the generation that... Everybody always says, I want to make an impact. Yeah. Um, I don't think in, my, in the last 30 days that I've made more of an impact ever than I have over there or felt as fulfilled as I have. Mm-hmm. And so if your ability to help financially there, um, and it's your chance to make an impact. You know, and this is a lot like what you said on 9-12, and we've talked previously about this, everybody came together. So this is everybody coming together. Now, this could be a really good lesson for us as Americans because you just mentioned the, you know, there's generational uh, ideas going on here. And the younger generation, you and I have talked off camera that we're a little concerned here because everybody's so soft, you're not gonna know what to do if we were in that same situation. So what are you learning over there that we need to be doing, especially as a Torah community? Um, man, a lot. So here, let's see where we start here. So the first one is, um, let's just focus on a, a Torah community. If, if somebody doesn't believe that, that God's name is Yahovah or it's Yahuwah or y- Yahweh or, or we, don't, we think this calendar's right and not this calendar or we like this preacher and, and we don't like this preacher, it's like we had this idea that, that the Father, Yah, however you want to call him, um, I call him Yahovah, but whatever, the Father called us and told us that we were supposed to observe the Torah. And, and collectively as a group, he told us this. And then we break off because we don't have any real stress or drama. You know, nobody's trying to kill us. Nobody's dropping bombs on us. We're not all in the middle of our house sleeping with our family, praying that we're not gonna be next to get hit with a bomb or caught by a foreign invading military. So we create our own drama over here. Mm. And so, Instead of saying we were called to observe the Torah and let's, let's work together as one community and push this direction, we split it off into a bunch of different things and we fight amongst ourselves. And that's one of the things I've seen in Ukraine is that Democrat, Republican, they're mostly Orthodox Christians, um, which was kind of cool. I didn't know what that meant, but you know, Orthodox Catholic is not the same as Roman Catholic but that's mostly what they are. They don't care what religion you are. They don't care what color you are. They don't care how old you are. All they care about is that you're the guy next to them trying to help everybody survive. 
Hmm. And um, they go out of their way to make sure that, that things that you need are taken care of. Um, you know, there might be some bickering, but overall, they're a group of people moving towards one goal together, where uh, one of the biggest mistakes we have is we are separated because we don't trust anybody anymore, mm. and we try to go our own way with the leader that we think. And I think as a whole, that's a huge mistake because we never can come together to form a ball to get the ball rolling to actually make an impact. Mm. There is uh, a study you told me about uh, with monkeys and crocodiles that illustrates this point. Uh, there is. So I'll, I'll tell the story. So I, I heard it from James Yeager. Um, there was a study with a zoologist that they had a bunch of monkeys in a pen and they had, I can't remember if it was crocodiles or alligators, so we're going to say crocodiles. And the monkeys had everything that they needed in this zoo and they had no stress. Well, after months and months of them not having any stress, they would all climb up in the tree and they'd all get going and they'd send one monkey down and the monkey would go down to the water and he would slap this crocodile in the back of the head and run up and then all the monkeys would cheer. And the purpose of that was saying that whenever you're safe and you really don't have anything to worry about because too much stress is, is bad for you as a human, not enough stress is bad for you as a human. So we kind of got to have like this happy medium. And when you don't have any, you start creating your own. Hmm. And so that's what Americans do. We, we start fights in our families. We start fights in our communities. We start fights within the churches. And we do this because we're bored and we're slapping an alligator. And that's our way to slap the alligator. Hmm. And um, I, I, I just remember calling back to tell people here, all of the problems that we thought we had in America that I thought I had, they are so insignificant the minute I got on the train. And uh, even while I was there, I, some simple things at like the school group that my daughters are in, I'm like, uh, this, okay, I mean, I realize you're mad at, who cares? Like none of that really is that important, but yet we, we will stress ourselves out over nothing so bad because we don't wanna have a common goal of coming together we want to have a goal of everybody, but like, let's find what's wrong in everybody instead of what we can agree on and move forward. All right, we're going to talk more about that again. I, th I think we need to have one more session like this where we do another uh, special Shabbat Night Live. So would you join us for one more of those? Absolutely. I think there's, there's a lesson to be learned here. Uh, you know, Yes, we want to talk about what you're doing in Ukraine and things like that and, and how people can help. Uh, and again, there's the information on the bottom of the screen as to how people can help what you're doing over there. And again, this is just humanitarian stuff, humanitarian, missionary type of stuff, uh, but also helping folks to defend themselves. That's all very important, but I think there's a, a lesson here as well we can bring home, and because we all know how the book ends. Yeah, yeah we do. <laughs> this is coming to our backyard, sure. and this is a warning, and this is what we need to be doing and learn from it before uh, you know, we get taken by surprise. So thank you, and we'll come back next week, okay? Okay. All right, thank you. Thank you for joining us on the special edition of Shabbat Night Live. Like you heard, uh, we're gonna have Trey back for one more week and talk more about this. We really need to be taking notes about this and understand what we need to be doing right now for folks like what he's doing in Ukraine and how we can prepare ourselves so we don't fall into the same trap of complacency here in the US because it's coming to our soil and we know it. Okay, see you next time.